So I shared with us, uh, with the, the congregation this morning, so you ever have one of those mornings where just, it's just a, not a great morning. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed. You ever have one of those mornings and then you just like start snapping at everyone, snap at my children, all the things. And then I come here and put on a happy face. Like, hey, da 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 you know. Uh, but it was, uh, it was just one of those mornings, just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Part of it was because I was really wrestling with God with the message this morning. And on Sunday mornings, my habit is I get up, get up early around 5, 5.15, and, and just kind of take some time before the Lord and, and, and look over what's, what's there. And that's where sometimes the Holy Spirit's like, no, or add that, or get rid of those things. But as I was looking at it, I just, I just wasn't happy. This just was not driving with me. And I began to realize uh, this morning at church during the first service, we singing hymns and things, that my wrestle was I was not paying attention to the very thing this message is teaching. And, and that message is teaching, quite simply, the faithfulness of God. That God is faithful and that he is true. And that if we truly believe and trust in that, that has ramifications on our lives. It impacts us in a variety of ways, as we'll see here today in Acts 14, how it impacts Paul and Barnabas. How many of you have ever thought that God pursues you? Anyone ever have that image of the pursuit of God? Raise your hand, right? That God is actively chasing after you in some way. And I know that to be true. If you don't know that to be true, that's fine. I mean, you'll come to understand it, that that is exactly how he operates. So I've heard stories, many of them in this, in this room, of when they come to know who Christ is, that sometimes it's this monumental like thing, and the heavens have opened up, and you're just crying. You're like, thank you, Jesus. Oh, oh, you know, and it's just this moving experience. For others, it's very subtle. It was a little nudge. It was a little something or other that all of a sudden the dots kind of came together, and you realized, you're like, oh, okay. Now I know what, I, what, 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 what this is. And for some, they could have been born into a family where Jesus was constantly preached and known. And they never knew a life without Christ. Because the family was that faithful for it, the family was that uh, in, in step with it, and so, and eventually, their lives kind of became, that, that their faith kind of became their own. And there wasn't this monumental thing. And so, when you say God pursues us, sometimes those folks have a hard time with that because they're like, I've never known a life without God. Where was the pursuit? And the pursuit was before you were even born. He knew the hairs on your head. He knit you in his mother's womb. And he, that's, that's the pursuit. I came into faith by people, by people that God put in my life that made sense now, but not then. What do I mean by that? Well, we were, we were a family that my parents, who now are deacons of a church, they've, they've, they're, they're actively walking in their faith. But as we were growing up, they just kind of weren't. They, God you know, was an idea, let's just be good people. Mom believed in a higher power. Dad had no time for the hypocrites of the Christian church. He thought all those holy rollers are just a bunch of hypocrites. And truth, we are. Yeah, that's, that's the true statement. If someone, and there's room for more so that we can have more in here. That's great. But, <laughs> but my grandparents, my grandparents were, were faithful walking Christians and they sought many opportunities to, to bring me and my sisters and things like that to experience Christ and go to church. Isn't it? There are a lot of people who come to faith by the steadfast prayers and endurance of a grandparent. And thanks be to God for that. That is true. 
And so, um, so there was that. And then um, uh, where we lived, there, was, there were these houses, like four of them, that literally circled our home. And, and I, I don't, this is how God sets up his battle, I guess. And, and they, I call them the holy snipers because they just kind of came after the heathens in the middle and invited me, and to, I think my sisters too, but they don't remember it, but I remember it, invited me over to ha- do vacation Bible school in their homes. So they had a church that did vacation Bible school for the whole week, but they also did it in their home. And they, they had spent like two, three days teaching Bible passages, doing activities, the whole, the whole nine yards. And it slowly began to just kind of seep in, and I began to know who the Lord was and make a profession of faith at one of those vacation Bible schools. My friends in elementary, junior high, high school, all of them Christians of different flavors and different kinds, kept us out of most trouble, you know, most. Um, the, the bad stuff didn't happen until college. But as a, as a high school kid, I, you know, God protected all of that. He pursued after me. What does it mean that God is faithful? Because that's the faithfulness of God there. What does it mean for us to be faithful? Let's answer that question. So if you think about in terms of faithfulness, I thought in terms of marriage, when I say, when we say to each other in marriage, we are going to be faithful, it says we are going to adhere to the vows that we made before God and before the congregation. We will be to those vows. We will not have eyes wander and go elsewhere. You, I, we're hitched, we're together. That's being faithful, right? To laws or to an oath that you may keep, to be faithful to that is you're not going to break those laws. You're going to adhere to the oath. You're going to do what you said you're going to do. To the Lord, when we say we are being faithful to the Lord, we will follow you, O God. We will listen. We will walk in the ways as best as we can uh, of how you've instructed and laid out. We will trust in you with our whole being. That's what it means to be faithful. What does it mean for God to be faithful then to us? It's a weird mind game, isn't it? It's a weird mental shift. Have you ever thought about it? Because it's a saying. People say it all the time in church. God is faithful. There's a song. Great is thy faithfulness. It's all about the faithfulness of God. What does it mean? Why would God, the almighty, the supreme, all-knowing, mighty God, do anything or want to do anything to demonstrate his faithfulness to the likes of me? Who am I? Who are you? and the sight of this all-powerful God, that he would care that much to demonstrate his faithfulness. Here's the thing. The faithfulness of God, quite simply, and you may want to write it down. The faithfulness of God is God being, acting, demonstrating. Being, acting, demonstrating who he says he is. It's not really about earning our favor at all. As much as it is him demonstrating that he really is God by just being him. That's why they call him the I am. Always is, always will be, always has been God. The undivided, without partiality, solid gold truth, truly one and only God. And how he demonstrates that faithfulness to us is him doing exactly what he says he's going to do and being exactly who he says he is going to be and everything that comes with that. All the love, all the wrath, all the justice, and all the grace. Everything in that proves his faithfulness to us. If God wasn't faithful, could you imagine? If God was not a faithful God to us, we would crumble. The woes of this world 
the troubles, the, the chaos, the, the storms that you all may be going in right at this very moment. If you didn't know the faithfulness of God, you would not withstand it. You would crumble. Even if you may think right now that your legs are out from underneath you, if by not knowing who God is or God not being faithful, there's no way you'd survive. We'd all be gone. God is faithful. He is true. He is who he says he is. Today, our passage in Acts 14 is going to open our eyes to that faithfulness and that truth of God. And today I saw, this is probably why I wrestled, I saw two distinct and they felt different teaching points. And so the, the burden of the pastors, which one do you pick? Oh, I know, let's pick both. No, but you know, that's, <laughs> you know, that's the struggle, otherwise we're going to be here an hour. But two distinct teaching points in this passage that at first to me seemed somewhat disjointed and had to take two, three, four times through it to really get it. But these two teaching points are connected by our main theme for today, that God is faithful and he is true. Now, the answer is up there already, and that's okay because I kind of led you to do that, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Pretend that when I get to this part, be amazed when I get to it, okay? Let's look now at Acts 14, verses 1 through 23. This is page 1096 to 1097. Go ahead and take out those Bibles in the back of your pews or open up your own Bibles or take it over on your phone. If you've got your Acts journal, you can open up to that. We're going to look at Acts 14, verses 1 through 23. It's a bit of a longer passage, so I'm going to try to make this a little bit more enjoyable for us as I read through God's Word. But I need you, want you to see this whole story here. And we're going to pull out two distinct teaching points and connect it by the faithfulness of God, that God is faithful, that God is true. You ready? Everyone ready? Let's dive in. All right, Acts 14, verses 1 and following. We got Paul and Barnabas. They are now being rushed out of one area. I believe it was Antioch, as Pastor Jen preached on last week, and really centered in on the, the Spirit of God, how that empowers them, empowers their message, all the things. That's all still true and still in play. But now they're getting pushed out of this Antioch area, and now they're going on to another place. They're getting more and more into Gentile territory, but there's still Jewish synagogues in and, in and around. And for some reason, it's just kind of their method. They go to the synagogues first. And, and if you go through Paul's, this is free now, if you go through Paul's writings, a lot of times he says to the Jew first, to the Gentile second. And that's this kind of mind frame that he has. Even though he has been called by Christ to be the missionary to the Gentiles, he's still going into the synagogues first to try to get his people on board because it's not a huge leap for them. That they have the foundation of the one true God. They just now need to see that the, his faithfulness comes through who? Jesus Christ. It's just a quick little dial. And so that's, that's still there. But he's also called to the Gentiles, which there's a little bit more work involved for them because they don't have the preloaded software, right? They, you got to kind of dig a little deeper here. So here they go. Off they go into Iconium. Verse 1, chapter 14. They entered together into, again, the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Notice that there, they remain for a long time. So things are getting stirred up. A few people, because it says many believed, but then there were some who didn't. 
Isn't it odd, and isn't it always true even in our time, where the few somehow get the microphone and change it for everybody? It's still kind of happening here. Many have received and believed, but there were a few who are still upset. And they get everyone kind of stirred up. They get the Gentiles stirred up to really kind of go against Paul and Barnabas. And they tried to go after him, persecute him, stone him. But what does it say there? Paul and Barnabas don't leave immediately after getting everybody their own stirred up for Christ. They remain for a long time. They remain for a long time to teach and equip these new believers. There's a reason for that. We'll get to it. They remain for a long time. But the people of the city, some were divided. Some sided with the Jews, the other with the apostles. And when there was an attempt made by both Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and, and to stone them, Paul and Barnabas learned of it, and then they fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. So they remained for a long time, and then so through God's wisdom, God's saying, okay, it's time to go. I don't want you stoned just yet. Get up and go. And so that's exactly what they did. Gotta go. See ya. You ain't stoning me. But as they go, they continue to preach. They never stop preaching the message. Never stop. Never stop stopping, right? Now, Paul and Barnabas are at Lystra. Now at Lystra, it's a new town, very Gentile, very pagan. There was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently, intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, Paul says in a loud voice, stand upright and walk on your feet. And so he sprang up and began walking, and when the crowd saw that what Paul had done, they lifted their voices, saying, Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Pop quiz, everybody. We have been in the book of Acts for ages, an eternity of sorts. But uh, anyone know what this story, where this story sounds very familiar? This event has happened before. Does anyone know where? Anybody? Thane? Acts 3. Acts 3. Thane got it. He got there. Yes. Excellent. Yes. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John. On their way into the synagogue, they came to a man who was crippled at birth. It says that Peter saw him and looked at him and said basically the same thing. Stand up. Your faith has made you well. Something along those lines. Then the crippled man gets up. He's walking. He's jumping around. And all the people there were amazed at the signs and wonders. And Peter had to say, don't be amazed at the signs and wonders. You should have this preloaded software and know that this is in the realm of possibilities of God. Well, here now, Paul and Barnabas, same deal, same crippled guy, same healing. And now the people who are of a Gentile audience begin to laud Paul and Barnabas as gods. Oh, no, bad news bears. Now, any time that the Lord has a repeated story in the Bible, it usually means for us all to pay attention. There's a truth to hear that's happening. Usually it's that us people are very dim-winded, but that's kind of where we're going. The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. 
They wanted to sacrifice to them. It's not unheard of in their polytheistic mindset that gods would come down and, and intervene and interact amongst the people. Usually it's to either to cause trouble or to do something that was self-serving for the god. And so they understand what's going on and that's why they want to raise them up. A divine thing has happened. But when Paul and Barnabas heard of it, verse 14... They tore their garments and they rushed out in the crowd crying out, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of like nature. We're sinners just like you. And we bring you good news. Circle that in your Bibles. We bring you the good news that you should turn, that's repent, from these vain things, empty things, to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and then all that is within them. And in past generations, God allowed all the nations to walk their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without a witness. You know what that means? And he's saying he's calling up history. Even though God is God of Israel and doing this stuff over here, he allowed all the other nations to walk their own way. But he didn't leave them without witness. That's why Paul says in Romans, there is no excuse for anyone not to know who God is. He didn't leave them without a witness there. How? Did not leave him without witness, verse 17. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He gave you things that sustained life. Now, even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering a sacrifice to them. So even giving that foundational stuff there may have knocked at the veneer a little bit, but they're still wanting to make a sacrifice. A divine thing has happened. Let's laud these people as gods. But here come the Jews. Came from Antioch and Iconium, the same people that drove them out. Now they followed them to these towns. And this is a journey. So these people are pretty bent on stopping the message. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But Paul, like a weevil's wobble, doop, 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 came back up again. The disciples gathered about him, and he rose up and entered into the city. On the next day, he went into Bar with Barnabas into Derby. How? awesome is Paul. He got stoned. He's bloody and bleeding and probably broken, and yet gets back up again. I was like, where are we going? And he, and, and, and he goes preaching the gospel. When they had preached the gospel to the, that city and made disciples, they returned back to Lystra where he got stoned. And also to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that, here it is, through many tribulations, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. So we got the story, right? And in this story, I saw two kind of distinct points arise. One is the perseverance of Paul and Barnabas through trials and tribulations. And you all, if you've ever been in our church before or any church, you've probably heard a message or two about the perseverance through trials and tribulations. That's not a new theme. But here, let's look at it again and see what is it that is pushing Paul and Barnabas to continue the way that they are in the face of uncertainty and in the face of death. And the second teaching point, if you want to put that up there, is the, that the good news overrides. The good news has the overriding power over cultures, over countries, over people, over, over religions, 
the good news can ride over all of that and connect the dots back to the one true living God. And that's what, looking at these two things that seem somewhat disjointed and separate, what unites them together is the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. He is true. Say that. God is faithful. He is true. All right. Let's look at this. Persevering through tribulations. What I mean by this. As we open up the text, we saw Paul and Barnabas. They're in hot water, right? Things are going bad. They've left one city. They've, they've angered these, these some Jews, these authority people that want to persecute them and end their life and stone them. And so they go into another city and they start doing the same thing again. They're preaching and they're preaching with such zeal and such power that many, both Jews and Gentiles are like, are like, hallelujah, Jesus, I want that. And for some reason, it angers these Jewish folks. Now, my question is, why? Why do they care so much? I get it maybe for the Jewish people who are becoming Christians because that's one of their own changing teams, you know? So I can kind of understand that. I said in the first service that if there was a church that opened up next door and you all went over there, I'd be a little upset. You know, I understand it's still the same team, but you know, stay here. So uh, anyway, so, you know, so I get it. I get, it. They, I get why they would be upset by that. But why the Gentiles? Why are they so upset about them? I mean, they, they, they follow them to other, other towns and in the Gentiles stir them up, poison them to try to go against Paul and Barnabas. Why? Why do you care? The only thing I can think of is I think they're afraid. I think that they are afraid that the message that Paul and Barnabas are preaching is actually true. And that if it's actually true, then they have to come face to face with why they're rejecting it. And that's true of all of us. We've all had to do that. If we, pre if we are a card-carrying, professing faith in Jesus Christ person, we have had to come face to face with why have we rejected him so long. Because of our own sinfulness, our own rejection, our own wanting to be our own boss, we want going about it our own way. And these leaders, these Jewish folks, they don't want to do that. Because if they're wrong, they're on the wrong side of history. I think they're also afraid of Paul. Remember Paul, the Jew of Jews, the Uber Jew who knew, who knew everything, right? How could someone like that, who was so actively crucifying Christians and persecuting them, have this 180? And someone who was so powerful and was so respected and sought after and so intelligent in the, in the Jewish ways, that's a dangerous person now not on your team. And so they're doing everything they can to discredit Paul and Barnabas, discredit the messenger, and therefore taint the message all in one fell swoop. And now Paul and Barnabas now face the outcome of that, which is what? Stoning, being persecuted, death. Why do they persevere? Why would any of us persevere in trials and tribulations? I know stories in this room, and I know what you some of you have gone through, I, d I don't know what some of you have gone through, and it could be very heavy. What, 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 what pushes you forward? What pushes them forward is that they have connected the dots. They have they've put it together, and they realize that God is faithful and that he is true. They realize that in God's faithfulness, he sent his son Jesus who died on the cross for us and for our sins to open up the way for us to go back to the Lord. And that's very crucial. See, that's going to fly in the face 
of this Gentile pagan thought. Because in the Gentile polytheistic pagan thought, there's no you rejoining with the gods. There's Hades. There's, there's that, that place where you go when you die. There's another place I researched called Elysium, which is kind of like heaven, but you're not necessarily with God. But the one true living God who is faithful and pursues after us is making a way to say, you come back to me, come to my kingdom. And they realize that. They realize that this life is not the best it's going to be. Many unbelievers in our culture and in our time right now think that this is the best it's ever going to be. YOLO, right? You know, you only live once, that kind of thing. Yep, yep, good. Yeah, that this is, this is the greatest it's going to be, so you live for it, live for the day, and then you die and go to dust, and that's the end of it. What an awful thought in existence. Christians, though, faithful, they, they've, they, the lens has fallen down, and you see the world for what it is. Broken, troublesome, chaotic, not the way it's supposed to be. We also see love, grace, and mercy because of the faithfulness of God, but that's only there to draw us to the kingdom in which he's calling us. That's why Paul says, through many tribulations, we enter into the kingdom of God. The thing that gives them perseverance is that they understand that and they believe that and they trust that and that gives them the wind in their sails that no matter what's going to happen here, God has prepared a place for them there that's way better and free of all the stuff that's happening here. But while I'm here, says Paul, we're going to run this race and we're going to keep on keeping on and we're going to preach the good news and try to get as many people to come alive to that as possible. God is faithful. God is true. If he wasn't faithful and true, there would be no zeal for this. Why are we even here? And so they take this message now. This message is good news of the gospel. And now they go into this Gentile area, this Lystra, and they're, and they're, and they're doing their stuff and they're getting their things done. And, and then what, what happens here with them? After the healing, the signs and wonders of the crippled man, they want to laud them as gods. They want to make sacrifices to them. And, and then they rip their clothes, which is like blasphemy. You, why would you do this? And they appeal to them and they say, we are just like you. We're not gods. We are men together. This divine thing that's happened is not from me. It came from the one true and living God. But these Gentiles don't have that preloaded software of the one true living God like the Jews do. They've got multi-gods. They've got all sorts of ins and outs where you make sacrifices to get God to act. And, and, if, and if life is bad, it's because the gods are against us. And if life is good, that means the gods are pleased and we need to sacrifice. I mean, that's how they're, they're running their systems. Look what Paul says. Verse 15. Why are you doing these things? We are men just like you. And then they bring the good news, turn from these empty things and turn to the living God who, look at this, made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all that is within them. And in the past, he let you go your own way, but he left himself a witness, which was what? Giving you rains from heaven, fruitful seasons, and satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Do you see what he's done? He's dismantled their polytheism. Because they have gods for all of these things, different gods for rain, for harvest, for food. And what he is saying is that there's this one true living God who's created it all. And by his goodness and his faithfulness, he's provided you sustaining life things. 
to stand, so that you are without an excuse, so that you know that there is this one true living God. And he did this without you doing any sacrifices and without you doing any worship to him. He just did it because he is God. And now Paul is trying to bring it together. Notice that Paul and Barnabas don't even go into Jesus yet. They're not there. They got to get this first. They got to get the fact that there is only one God who will have no other gods before him and that he is faithful and that he is true. And this is what connects these two things together. May we never, ever forget the faithfulness of God. May we never, ever forget that all the things that happen in our lives, whether they be tribulation and persecution and just awfulness, or whether they be mountaintop things, all of this is wrought by his hand so that we may come to him, so that we may be strengthened and conformed to his image, so that we will have that communion with him in the kingdom of God on that day, free of all of those things. The world that we live in does not understand that if they don't know who Christ is. And they will try their best, they will try their best to discredit the message and the messenger so that they can keep on with their own lives and call in the middle of a sermon. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'll end with this. Tim Keller, uh, who just passed on, uh, gave a sermon and talked about the love of God. And he said that the love of God is both comforting and dangerous. It's comforting (laughs) because he is compassionate, slow to anger, and full of grace. It's comforting because of Christ. That's that gentle hug that brings you in. But it's dangerous too because his love is a refining love. His love can appoint trials and tribulations in your life. We may not understand why. We may not understand what the purpose is. And we may not find relief from that until we go to heaven. But all of the things that he is doing with this love is to strengthen us and bring us together for his good. That's his faithfulness. That I will not leave you as a sinner dead in your sins, but will come and rescue you and make a way through my son, Jesus the Christ. He is faithful. He is true. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, I, I, Lord, I thank you for not leaving us dead to our sins because you could have. could have just let it go and just let us be lost and adrift at sea. But just like Jesus who walked on the water and came out to the disciples, you pursue after us. You long to be with us. You want us in your kingdom. And in order to get there, we endure this sinful, broken life but we do so with hope. We have hope in you, O Lord, for your faithfulness is true. Remind us of this. Remind us especially of this as we partake in communion today, as we look at these simple elements of bread and juice and how they can empower us and remind us of your grace and your truth and your faithfulness. Be with us, O Lord, as we partake in this sacrament and worship you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.